Hey, my name is Katie Bulmer. I was your typical heartbroken and hungover sorority girl who looked for love in boys, Bacardi, and did I mention boys? After the breakup that broke me, I met the only man who can truly fulfill me. His name is Jesus. Shortly after that, I met my husband, the best example I have met of Jesus on this earth. Today, I have never been more sure I am right where I'm supposed to be on a mission to help today's young women find their life calling, stop dating dirtbags, and basically just be who I needed when I was younger. I've been called a big sis, an adopted mom, or my favorite title, a cool aunt. But however you think of me, get ready to be challenged and encouraged. This is the Truth For Your 20s podcast. Today, we have a second time guest, Jessica Hoddle. Her first episode is back in the archives, episode 39, if you want to go back and listen to it. But Jessica is an online friend of mine. She's doing incredible things, helping women have healthy relationships, a healthy relationship with their body. So welcome, Jessica. I am really excited to be here with you again. Yay. So let's do a quick overview in case they missed the first episode. Yeah. At the time of this recording, I'm 34 and I feel like I've been on a recovering emotional roller coaster girl for probably the last seven years because that was probably seven years ago when I realized how emotional I was and how much I was reacting to everything around me. And it was a slow, I wouldn't say grind, but it was a slow grow of healing process of kind of pruning these things away. But a lot of my pain and anger and resentment came, of course, through childhood and relationships here on this earth and growing up in a home where you didn't really hear I love you. There was no affection. There was no physical touch. There was no connection. And so oftentimes it was words that were used or, you know, physicalness, you know, as far as abuse wise goes. So that's kind of what I saw and grew up with. And that led me to wanting to turn to men for some kind of comfort. And when you're 12 years old, which is when I first turned to men, you don't, you're not thinking, oh, I'm going to, they're going to give me comfort and love, right? You are subconsciously just trying to fill a need that you're not getting at home. And that kind of progressed throughout my life. And it went from, you know, my men being an idol to my body and to my business. And then, you know, that's where it takes us to today of like, hey, I needed to really process through all these experiences in my life, what I was happening and what what was happening and what was going on. And so I'm like, I needed to get off the coaster and just to start walking down a steady road, you know, a flat road to be able to just not respond and react based on what I'm feeling. And you had written about 70,000 books, roughly, right? <laughs> <laughs> just about, no. I've written four books, but I would say Close this enough. last this this book coming out, Face Off with Your Feelings. I've been writing it since 2019. And it's I've rewrote it about five times, which usually the other books kind of came easier to me. Um so processing the stories and growing and maturing in the Lord really came with a lot of growth in my writing as well. And so this has been a sweet labor of love of writing, but really just so that women can find themselves in my stories, but also go know that God wants them well. Yes. Okay. I, I love that title. I love all the titles of your books, like A Worthy Wife. Remind me of the other titles. Know Your Worth and Own Your Worth. Yes. I mean, like you're crushing it with the <laughs> my marketing brain is like, <laughs> nice job. Nice job on the titles. But okay. So I guess I want to park for a minute on your fitness journey because I found that so fascinating on our last conversation. 
how, you know, women specifically can get so tied up in my worth is based on a number on the scale. My worth is based on how pretty I look in these jeans. And you, you know, written books on it, have a lot to say on it. Like, I just want to unpack that for a second before we get into the face off with your feelings. Yeah. You know, what's funny is I, one of the chapters I shared the book, I talk about the dance and I think everybody, every woman knows what I'm talking about with the jeans. You try to put them on and you're literally dancing. You know what I mean? Like the sideways hop. And I had this moment last year where going to the store, I went up a size and I hadn't bought pants in a long time. I just don't like buying pants. And, and so, it was quarantine. I mean, who needs <laughs> And I was like, woo, okay. This was not the size I thought it was going to be. And I went into almost a spiral and I had to stop myself, which is why, again, facing off with your feelings, it was, I wanted to go into extreme where it was, okay, I need to be restricted. I need to restrict because I went through a lot of healing of being afraid of food and restricting gluten, dairy, grains, everything possible. I was really on that mm. diet culture bend of, I have to do everything I can to make my body look a certain way so that I could be seen, heard, and loved. And putting on the bigger pants was the bigger size was started to trigger that emotional diet culture past that I used to live in, you know, of don't eat that, don't eat this. You need to go work out two hours a day again. And I walk us through how those kind of triggers and feelings, what they really mean and going to the root of them, which is why I get passionate about that. So when I, when I take my emotion out of the size, I'm like, it's just a size. And I'm like, does that make me any different as a person or am I allowing it to make me different? That's good. <laughs> I don't know why I'm thinking about this right now, but have you ever heard at someone's funeral, man, she was such a great girl. She wore a size four. Like, no, like no one cares. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no one says that. Absolutely. Yeah. Jesus isn't going to be like, you know, when you get to heaven, he's like, like, well, I really wish that you would have worked out your thighs a little bit more. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> No one cares about that. So you said that was obviously a huge journey for you. But then even recently, that triggering of, you know, finding that size that wasn't what you hoped it would be. So there's 17 million books on the subject. But what has been really helpful for you in getting out of that unhealthy view of your body and unhealthy place when it comes to, you know, sizes Mm -hmm. and all that stuff? Uh, Well, I think a lot of it, it always goes back to identity for me because where am I going? to find comfort, where am I going to solve a problem that I'm feeling, right? Because we have kind of these open wounds. And when we have open wounds, if we don't treat them, what happens? They get infected and then they spread and then they can cause other things to start to happen, right? It can just kind of create this snowball effect. And if we don't tend to the wound, and what I like to say is, you know, Scripture is not a bandage, it's ointment for the wound. And so when we go to his word and we learn about who we are and what he says about our pain, what he says about our feelings, then the wounds can begin to close. But if I have open wounds that are festering, no matter what angle or area, I should say, of our life, it will try to take care of that wound, right? So for me, it was the pants. I had a wound in my heart about identity and the belief about my body, I'm hoping that these pants will take care of that wound. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think that that's good. And I 
I want to talk more about identity because I've talked about this on a few podcasts and I just love to hear other people's take because no matter what we're talking about, almost always the problem behind the problem is, as you said, identity. You know, whether that's turning to men, having an you know unhealthy view of your body, anxiety, whatever, it all comes back to identity. So what would you say, how do we get a healthy identity? What does that even mean? Mm-hmm. Well, my identity comes from the Lord. So I always, the three things I kind of have women work out with that is one, what are you giving your identity to? You know, like just recognizing where is it that you're trying to find and solve these problems externally, right? Diet, working out, men, your husband, your children, your family, whatever it is. The second thing that you have to figure out is who do you believe God to be? Just you personally. Because if you believe God to be angry, somebody that's going to strike you down, you know, somebody that looks at you through your sins, we are made in his image. Therefore, how we view God directly impacts how we view ourselves. And if we don't think that he's safe, if we think that he's angry and mean, then we're not going to go to him for comfort and safety. Therefore, that identity, those wounds are going to be left open because why would we go to somebody that's teaching us a lesson by giving us quote unquote, these hard times and everything, if we're supposed to go to him to also get the answer, right? And the third thing is, for identity is you have to know who God really is. Because once we know who he is, then we know who we are. So knowing who he is to us, but then actually knowing who, correct? Like, yeah, the scripture says mm-hmm. he is. Yeah, because I don't think a lot of us truly know what we believe about God because we're listening to so many voices tell us who God is or who we believe God should be. But if we really kind of crack the shell and peek behind the curtain, who do we believe God is in our life? Because that is the area that probably needs healing. Identity. I just, I wanted to camp out there because that comes up a lot in conversations. And, you know, when I was 20, I had like, what do you mean? Like, okay, I'm a child of God, but that that sounded something cute, like to put on a t-shirt, you know, like, but yeah, so true. But what did that even mean? And I really, I honestly think that I probably got a better understanding about that. I still remember actually our first daughter was born. And I mean, we're like hours in from the hospital, you know, like this is a whole, we're brand new parents for the first time. And the sweetest thing ever, my husband, I remember took me by the hand and like brought me into the nursery and then we saw her sleeping. And he was like, besides you, have you ever seen anything more beautiful? And I was just like, in that moment, like, I didn't even know this child barely, you know, like she was brand new to me. but. I would risk anything and everything and do whatever it takes for her good. And I think realizing that, and I'm just a sinful human and having a perfect God who like, not only am I like, you know, adopted into his family, he with great care and intention put together my personality and how tall and how, you know, everything about me. And so true. It just it changes everything once you start to see it that way. <laughs> no, for sure. I mean, I always think of Psalm 139. That is really what I started my ministry on. It's this beautiful image that the psalmist writes about how God sees us, how He knows the hairs on our head, how we can't escape from His presence, you know, how our days are in His book, um, how our frame was not hidden from Him. It, there's just so many key points that he points out about our identity and about who God is and how he created us as well. I love it. Okay. I wanted to unpack all of that before we get into what you're working on now. And that is face off with your feelings. And this is so huge because feelings, as we know, can feel overwhelming, uh, pun intended. Um, But sometimes they're 
they're not true, or sometimes they do need to uh, get a little bit more attention. So talk to us about facing off with your feelings. Mm, yeah. At first I was always like, if people are going to receive this title, they're going to want to face off with their feelings. Cause I feel like the, the title is me, like me as well. I'm a little punchy. I'm not like in your face, but I'm like, let's do this. You know, like you don't have to live like this. Yeah. And when I think about facing off with your feelings, it's really this confrontation, but it's actually just an invitation. It's an invitation for you to be able to process, slow down in a sense of emotional. Because I know sometimes we're like, you're telling me to slow down. I can't slow down. I have a full schedule. I got to work and all these things. But really, it's an invitation to go to the Father and to be able to really process through what it is that you're dealing with on a very subconscious, unconscious level so that you can get to the root of why you yell at your husband. Why are you always sad? Why are you always anxious? Why are you always worried? It's not just that we have to be stressed because that's what the world tells us. We got to be stressed all the time. And this is just the, the hand that we're dealt with here being as humans. But I like to say, there's the other way and there's the Jesus way because he's the it's the upside down kingdom, right? He says to not worry. He says to not fear. So how do we get to that place? And that's kind of why I unpack it a lot in the book, you know, chapters about renewing your mind and creating space to heal and walking through identity and discerning the truth. Because a lot of things we try to we try to fix an internal problem through an external solution. And, and that's why I'm like, no, we need to look inside first before solving a problem outside. And one of the first things I write in chapter one about creating space to heal is the story of um, Jesus and his the friends that bring this, the, their sick friend down through the roof on a mat. And I'm kind of paraphrasing this, but Jesus says like, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to get up and walk. And it is hard. The, the physical miracle we see, but then he says, your sins are forgiven, which shows us that God works from the internal to the external, not external to internal, because we don't see sins forgiven, right? So when somebody, when you walk through that emotional healing, people aren't going to be like, wow, you really healed from, you know, sin today, you know, they're going to see it through your action. They're going to see it through how you respond to the situation. And what I realized is that we don't think healing is worth it because we don't know what it's going to bring us. Because we think if I work today, I'm going to get a paycheck, right? But if I heal, I'm not going to get a paycheck. So we don't think it's worth it to spend time to forgive, to process, because we're thinking, what is it going to give us? That's good. I actually just saw an Instagram quote, and it was something along the lines of, you can go to the gym and drink that kale smoothie, but if you're not doing the mental work, you know, you you can still be unhealthy. And I think that that's kind of like what you're talking about because yeah, I mean, I'm an Enneagram three, like I want results. I want to, you know, achieve, I want to do the thing and go to the gym. I think that's, you can see that more, right. Or it's like more measurable, but yes. yeah, when we get to this mental healing, emotional, it's like, well, <laughs> I started to A, have I gotten to B, you know, it's kind of sometimes harder to measure and stuff, but how do we work around that? How do we start to see the fruits of our labor, so to speak? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I was just thinking when you're talking about the gym and the scale. For me personally, when I was working external to internal, I was focusing on, you know, the size of my legs, the clothes, the size of the jeans and clothes I was wearing, the number on the scale. But what happened when I started to actually heal 
I didn't care what the number said. I didn't care what I was lifting anymore. I didn't care to go to the gym two hours a week or two hours a day anymore. The priorities start to shift the more that you start to change the lens that you start to view the world from. And so, you know, we want an easy answer. We want it to be what five step process, you know, can I do to begin to avoid escaping? But one of the easiest things that I practically I could probably say to be able to put your thoughts on trial is we actually have to create white space, white noise, like just where we're not doing anything to be able to address the thoughts so they can come so we can put them in the ring, right? If a wrestler or a boxer or a fighter never got in the ring with somebody else, would they get better? Would they get stronger? And so if you think of that kind of analogy, we're doing that with our thoughts, which is the opponent, our feelings, that's the opponent. And the more we do that, the stronger we get to be able to put our feelings into submission because we are living from our identity, not to our identity, which of course is in Christ. And he wouldn't be a just God if he didn't give us the authority to put our feelings into submission. And so we have to one, just, hey, don't pick up your phone at a red light. You don't have to pick up your phone in carpool line. You don't have to pick up your phone at a stop sign. You know, there are places that you can find space where you don't have to pick up your phone in the grocery store. Like think about all the places you pick up your phone and you could probably find five or 10 minutes to be able to like breathe, confront the day, confront and put it on trial, put it, you know, in its place, in its corner and be able to then not shove it down, but have a conversation with God so that you can move through it. Yes. Okay. You said this, putting your thoughts on trial. You got to unpack that because I've never heard that said and I think it's super cute. I mean, cute's the wrong <laughs> word, but I like it. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> yeah. I heard this in many different forms from my friend, Elisa Keaton. And when you think about putting your thoughts on trial, it really is kind of putting them into a courtroom. And you're putting them in the seat and you're putting them on trial and you're weighing now what is a lie and what is truth. And to be able to discern what is a lie and what is a truth is to know that what a lie brings and what a truth brings. So when we're constant, like when our feelings are based on a lie, they're going to typically make us feel tired, fatigued. We'll get a headache. We'll have physical symptoms, uneasiness in our stomach, stomach tightness. We'll start to feel like palms sweaty, right? When we're believing lies about, worry or anxiousness or our identity, it always brings destruction, division. But when we think about a truth, it's going to bring healing physically. It's going to have joy. You're probably going to smile more. You're probably going to have energy. You're probably going to sleep through the night. So those thoughts, lie or truth, putting them on trial and being able to say like, who are you? What is this? And then putting in its proper sentence we don't want to put them in jail. We actually want to be like, no, like you're dead to me. <laughs> you know, like we don't want to just hold them captive. We want to take them captive and then put them into submission where they need to go. Hey, did you know I offer online mentoring? My most popular option is booking a one-time 30-minute chat. I call it Ask Me Anything. And if you want to continue from there, I also offer a month of mentoring. I have found a lot of girls also prefer the pre-recorded option. So I have two options there. I have a mini course, a short, easy to digest called Make a Dating Plan. This dives deeper into something I talk about very often about making a plan dating with intention. And then I have a more in-depth course walking you through 
through heartbreak, how to heal from that, and then how to get relationship healthy. Go give me a follow on Instagram at Life, and you'll find all the info you need at the LinkedIn profile for online mentoring. That's Life on Instagram and online mentoring at the LinkedIn profile. I cannot wait to have coffee with you. This is so good. I want to do an example. So I talked to a girl not too long ago through mentoring and she had been through some bad relationships in the past where she was cheated on and stuff. Yeah. Currently in a healthy relationship, good guy, given her no reason that he was unfaithful and stuff like that. But there was a lot of looking for him to mess up, so to speak. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. He hasn't called me back in a certain amount of time. Why is he here when he's supposed to be there? As it relates to what we just talked about, I would love for you to like take those thoughts on trial. Like, What would you advise her to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so good. And I say that because I was that girl. Yeah. I would go, I would go to their house and be like, look to see if they were where they said they were going to be. I don't want to say crazy, but I was like just so unhealthy in my thoughts because I'd been treated so poorly. One of the first things that I would probably have her do is like you said, to look at all the things that he's done to prove to her what is true about his character. Because when we get in our emotions and our feelings, we forget about reality. And so she could always have that list present so that she can create space of like, okay, I know he loves me. He says what he's, he, when he tells me he's going to be there at seven, he's there at seven. If he's not, he calls. You know, there are these characteristics that he probably does over and over. But as soon as that trigger comes in, she starts wanting to go check and doubt him because of the pain and trauma that she's experienced. And so it does take time of that consistency because she needs to see that he's consistent, just like God is consistent, right? So that she can trust him so that she knows that she's safe. Because right now she doesn't really believe that she's emotionally safe yet. And so she's always kind of having her guard up. And so she has to be able to see, separate, begin to process those feelings as they come and even be willing to talk to him like, hey, I'm really sorry that this is happening, or I said this to you, it's because of X, Y, Z. Then what he can do is go, I'm so sorry that you feel that way. Here's what I can do. Or what can I do to help you not feel that way? Yes. Communication. Clarity is kindness. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I feel like this, I want to like ask 12 more examples, just because this idea of (laughs) putting your feelings in the ring or or facing off or whatever you want to say, like is so powerful. Can you think of another example that you walk women through? Because I feel like the example is really powerful. Mm. So let me give you a kind of a couple of church examples. I had to, this like going back to the identity piece, one of the women that I work with, she was really struggling because somebody told her that the reason why her grandpa died was because of his sins. And so her view of God now is she has anxiety and worry about messing up. She's afraid to make decisions. She's afraid to do anything because she's afraid God is going to just strike her down. And what we've had to do is face off with this theology that she has been taught or told or whatever about her identity and about the character and nature of God so that she can be free from the very thing that should be setting her free. Yeah. And it's really is this, you know, confrontation of, okay, like I keep saying confrontation, but maybe that's like a bad word, but this invitation, you know, to say, this is not right. Like I don't have to, because every situation she goes into now, that's in the back of her head. Just like the girl that you said with the example, right? Of I've had all these bad relationships, but even though he 
is proving himself to be trustworthy and kind. Same thing with her and God. Every situation she goes into, she's thinking about, well, am I going to die because of my sins? Right. And even when I deal with women with this eating disorders, you know, that is a very big stronghold. And so in the, in the life of many women, and even just one in particular that I, that I've worked with in the last year or so of this identity issue that she has to get herself right before God will love her. So she's trying to get rid of an eating disorder without God, but she wants to be with God. And so she's at this war with herself, right? But instead of taking that into the ring, She's actually a lot like keeping it on the sideline and she's trying to face herself without actually facing it with Jesus. Right. And so what we have is we start to get into these thought patterns and these routines, right? Like she was where, okay, I can't use, like, I don't want to go to God because I need to do this by myself and figure it out so that he can use me. And now everything in her life goes based on that situation. Like she feels like she has to be perfect with her eating, perfect in her relationships. You know, she over apologizes because she's afraid to mess up because she won't be loved or cared for or used, so to speak, by God. I'm trying to think of, a, of an example, and maybe this is a good one, but or maybe not. But um, it's like saying I, I need to go to the doctor because I'm I'm sick, but first I need to get myself well <laughs> and with yes. my own accord with these little potions yep. at the house, and hopefully then I'll be good enough to go to the doctor. Like, yeah, uh, no, <laughs> that is not how it works. It's so true. And that's, here's another analogy. It's like when you're, if you hire somebody to come clean your house, you clean your house before they come clean it. Yeah. (laughs) And you're like, why did I do that? Don't I pay somebody to help clean my house? It's the same concept. We want to be neat and tidy and perfect. And we forget that like, we don't have to be neat, tidy and perfect to come to the father. And that that is the most beautiful place that we can go because he's safe. And we can trust him because he's not going to use his word. He's not going to use our words against us. He's not going to use our pain against us. And the more that we can look at him as safe, the more we can view others safe as well to an extent, right? We can begin to have a further capacity or a window of tolerance where we can allow people to be like, okay, you are safe for me. I can trust you. Yes. So we talked about, you know, the girl that that I mentored who was kind of fearing the worst in her relationship. And one of the opportunities I get to do is talk to girls in lots of different circumstances and relationships and stuff. And, you know, this conversation can go lots of different ways, but I've also talked to girls who are afraid of healthy relationships. And, you know, they'll say, Hey, I met this guy. He, we share the same faith. He's a gentleman, you know, all the things that she'd ever wanted, but she's scared. She thinks she's going to mess up. She thinks maybe it's too good to be true. Whatever the reason those feelings, as we talked about, can become, they can lie and they can become overwhelming. So I guess what would we talk about when it comes to facing off with the feelings in that situation? Yeah, it's actually, I wrestled so much with men. Like men was, I mean, I always had a boyfriend lined up because my biggest fear that I ran away from was being alone. We need to talk about that too. I felt like if I was alone, then that mean that nobody cared for me, nobody wanted me. And I was just kind of cast off to the side. Like I was never going to be good enough for somebody to love me as I was. And if I could have somebody lined up next, that means I never had to confront those feelings. So I just, I was on the run is what I liked. I write about in the book. I actually use a lot of relationship examples in the book because that was a lot of my life. And, you know, just I was on the run from my feelings of confronting of being alone. 
because alone didn't feel safe to me because I wanted the comfort of somebody trying to take care of me. And so when I think about even sabotaging a healthy relationship, which I actually kind of feel like I did that a little bit with my husband in the beginning, was I just felt like I didn't deserve it. And I kind of had some anger, like, so you ain't gonna, like, this ain't gonna happen. You ain't gonna hurt me. And so I was looking for the pain, right? I was looking for anything that he was doing that was like, nope, you ain't gonna do that. Like, I ain't gonna, if it could even just be a small thing, you know, that text you didn't respond to, like, I would take it to the extreme. And so I think one of the biggest things is one, we think we don't deserve it because we think I've been through all of these that goes back to identity. If you look at your childhood, and I'm not saying you could have a great childhood and still wrestle with being in a, in a relationship, but oftentimes, depending on how you were raised and different relationships that you've had, you go into thinking, I don't deserve this because maybe past boyfriends have convinced you that I've dated a sociopath. I've dated a manipulator. I've dated an alcoholic. I've dated a drug addict. I've dated all these different kinds of men. And typically what they do is they'll tell you it's your fault. And if so, if you've ever been in a relationship where you've heard those things, like it's your fault, it's your problem, you're the one that's crazy, you're the one that's not thinking right, you go into the next relationship that's healthy and you go, I don't deserve this. He's, you know, you start to think because based on the past manipulation, you think it's your fault. And so dealing with that, you kind of get to confront these feelings of, and again, communication is kindness, clarity is kindness to work it out with the person, but also be able to maybe a trusted friend or therapist, but really with Jesus of, I need to be able to heal because we often expect others to do things, right? We have our list of things we want in a guy and he's perfect and great, but then are we doing those things ourselves? Preach that. (laughs) (laughs) Right? You know, and so that to me is important. It's, I think a lot of it's humility coming down to if I'm in a healthy relationship and I can't see what healthy is because I didn't know what healthy was. I thought it was abuse. I thought it was these crazy relationships of alcohol, like whatever came along was healthy. And I had to humble myself too, though, and go like, oh, I have to work on me. I can't just depend on the other guy to fulfill or to solve the internal problem that I'm experiencing. I don't know if that helps at all, but... No, that's gold. That is gold because I think Yes, there is. I did the same thing. You know, when I dated my husband, I'm like, wait, no, sorry, nothing's wrong. So something must be wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Or like he's hiding. He's hiding something. Yes. Yes. I Mm -hmm. talked to my friend Angela and they are like unicorns, how perfect their relationship was. But she was like, nope, it's wrong. Like, you know, there's no way this can be this good. But yeah, something I also heard that has stuck with me is a lot of us fear worst case scenario. I, I wish we didn't, but it's human nature. Like, what if, a bomb lands. What if we get in a car wreck? What if all this? if something bad can happen, then can't also something really good happen? Yeah, and absolutely. so getting that mentality, especially when it comes to relationship, if you can date a total dirtbag, can't you also date a guy who sees how amazing you are and accept that, accept that about you that maybe you can have a good relationship? And yeah, I think that that changing in the mentality is super powerful. One thing I want to add on to that is. This is something I didn't know as a 20-something and dating even in my teens was as soon as there was conflict, I wanted to run Yeah, because I did not deal with confrontation well. So I thought that if we fought, that it's a bad relationship, it's unhealthy. 
And maybe you've never dealt with that or, you know, you've never worked with women like that. But I feel like it's a huge issue that as soon as we disagree, then we should run. It's not meant to be. And so I say welcome conflict because you want to see how that person talks, how they handle each other, how you handle it. Like conflict does not mean unhealthy is really what I want to say. You know, so you could be with somebody that's great and understanding and listens, but you guys might have a disagreement, which is going to happen. Sure. And so how you work through it and process it is going to be a journey, but it's one that's welcomed. And so I really want to say that because I feel like when we're younger and there's conflict, we're like, eh, maybe he's not the one, you know, instead of actually working through it and going, okay, like, why did we, why were we angry? Why did we say these things? You know, so I don't know if that helps too, but there's just has to be an invitation of conflict of being able to process process through that in a healthy way in a relationship. Yeah. Actually, just yesterday, I put on my Instagram, what does a healthy marriage look like to you? And it's just one of those question boxes. And so lots of people put their answers. And a girl said, making sure there's smoke from the fire. And I was like, can you explain that? I've never heard that. And she said that she grew up, modeled a very healthy marriage. Her parents, you know, stayed together, you know, very good. So, but sometimes they would fight and she would ask like, why are y'all fighting? Are y'all going to get divorced? You know, as a kid and her dad would lovingly say, oh, I'm not going to quote it right. But it's something along the lines of there's smoke to show you that there is a fire of love and that fire will never burn out. But sometimes the evidence of that is going to be the smoke of us like just heated and passionate about disagreement. And I don't know that not everyone agrees with that. And like some people think that if you fight, something is wrong, but that has not been my experience. I think that you know you're gonna you're gonna meet a flawed human and you're gonna have different beliefs and you didn't grow up in the same household. If you did, that would be weird if you married them. Um, and so you know you see the world through different lenses and mm-hmm. just little things are going to be a disagreement. But I think it's you know how you handle it with with respect. Yes. With you know trying to hear the other person's viewpoint is where the difference is. Yeah, I mean for me. I feel like if you're not having any kind of conflict or just not, it doesn't have to be big, like that you're not even like bumping heads at yeah. all on anything, I would be worried that you weren't even communicating what was really going on. Or personally. somebody's a doormat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying you have to be like emotional all the time or fighting or yelling. Like my husband, and I don't really, we just bicker. That's what we say. We just yeah. bicker because we're like, you know, I, I'm upset. You made this or just even an everyday humanness that we have here on this earth when our flesh rises up, right? Like, so that's something to me that I'm like, well, hmm, I don't think that there should ever be not anything because you're still going to have maybe disagreements and stuff. But yeah. Yeah. And I think maybe less as you get older, because eventually you're building a life together and you're getting to someone bend some way, which isn't a bad thing. You know, like we realize this isn't a hill we're dying on or whatever, stuff like yeah. that. And yep. But yeah, no, I agree. I think that it's good because it's like you're two passionate human beings with two opinions about whatever it is. And of yeah. course, with respect and with love. You know, but yes, I agree. I mean, if it's happening like every day, then okay, there's maybe, you know, so I'm just use obviously wisdom and discernment in that. But, you know, not every day we should be fighting, but also. No, I remember bragging about my extremely toxic relationship. I was in my sophomore year in college. Like, oh, we just never fight. Yeah, but we also like didn't even talk about anything that mattered, you know? (laughs) Exactly my point. Or my go-to was I would just have sex with them. So that I thought that solved the problem. Yeah. If I could just have some kind of physical connection, we'd get over it. But we never, ever addressed the actual problem. Yeah. You know, their drinking, their drugs, me staying here, their words that they treated me. Me giving my body was just like an act of like, um, I don't even say submission to them almost. Like just very unhealthy of, okay, can you be happy with me again? 
because I don't want to deal with the conflict. If we don't fight, if I, if we do this. Yeah. Yes. Yep. And I think we also put so much weight on that physical intimacy, but there's five different forms of intimacy, you know, and that involves conversations and getting to know each other and being unclothed emotionally, not just physically. And, yeah. and we're much more afraid of that, which is sad in a way. I think that the physical should be an outward act of being intimate on all those other levels. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. Jessica, you're amazing. Tell us how we can get your new book and all the things you're doing on the internet world. Yes. You can come hang out with me on Instagram at Jessica Hoddle or go get your uh, copy of the book. Depending on when this comes out, you could still get all the pre-order goodies, but go to JessicaHuddle.com and everything will be right there for you. And you know, I can't let you go without asking our question. I like to ask all my guests, if you could have coffee with your 20 year old self, what would you say? To remain slow and steady. Ooh, I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's what I keep telling myself for the past two years, but man, in my twenties, I did everything and anything to get ahead. And you know, the world says, how far and fast can you go? But the Lord says, will you go slow and steady with me? That's so good. I um, actually just talked about this on another episode, but our kids are in cross country right now. And that's so true because, you know, the kids that start off like a firecracker are dying, you know, less than a mile in (laughs) for the ones that are slow and steady are the ones that are winning. It's so true. Yes. And if you think of a runner, even crossing the finish line, they can only sprint for so long before they just are like, whoo, their body, they they bend down, they take a break, they breathe on the ground, you know, they can only go for so long. Yes. Save the sprinting for the end. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or sprint at certain times. Sprinting is good, but yep, you can't do I, it forever. I do that. I call it like little hustle, like not hustle, but like hard work sprints where there's seasons in your life where it's just, there's a higher demand on you, you know, yeah. and other seasons it's not. So yeah. But if it lasts for a year, there's a problem. <laughs> yeah. You're going to end up burned out, exhausted, and your body will be like, what are we doing? Exactly. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much. Make sure you go Find her. I'll have the link in the show notes for all of the goodness Jessica is offering. And I can't wait to get a hold of your new book and share it with everybody. Thanks so much for having me again. Of course. I'm over here giving you a virtual hug because you just finished another episode of the Truth For Your 20s podcast. Would you help a sister out and take a screenshot right wherever you're listening and share it on your social? Give me a tag at Katie Wilmer Life so I can give you a big thank you. You sharing it, you leaving your reviews on iTunes is the best possible compliment you can give. Hey, let's continue to hang out. We have a private community called Truth For Your 20s over on Facebook. So just go to groups, search Truth For Your 20s and come join the party.